Uh, man, but we're going to start off this morning uh, in our words. So if you have your Bibles with me, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. If you don't have it, it's going to be behind, uh, behind me on the screen. Uh, if you have your iPhone, go ahead and pull that out and take notes. Pull up your Bible. Uh, if you have your Android, good luck. All right. So I have a simple thought for you this morning. Very simple. One verse we're going to look at uh, that I just want to tackle, and we're going to build our foundation from this one scripture. It says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. To a living hope. That's really important. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope. This morning I want to talk to you from the, the, the topic, Jesus and the Vacant Church. Jesus in the vacant church. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Father, we are so thankful that thousands of years ago, you sent your one and only son to die on a cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven forever. And that three days later, you rose him from the dead. And that 40 days later, Father, you ascended him into the heavens so that he could be at your right hand, interceding for his children, loving his children, guiding and leading his children through your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, this morning, I pray that there would no longer be a vacant church, that there would no longer uh, be places of emptiness, but, Father, places of hope, of joy, of peace, of love, of patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control, because, Father, that's what your church is supposed to look like. Father, this morning, as we open your word, would you make us more like your son Jesus this morning? For it is he that we want to be like. So, Father, I thank you this Easter Sunday that we get to celebrate your son in his resurrection. We love you, and we do these things in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen. Have you ever been somewhere uh, maybe you weren't too familiar with? Maybe you were at a place where you knew it was kind of important. Uh, maybe, you know, people get dressed up, uh, you're at this occasion, and, and then all of a sudden, people just start celebrating, and they're like, woo, they're clapping, they're excited, and, and you have no idea what you're there for, and you're like, oh, yeah, 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 right? And, and you look like a fool, because you're just like, I don't know why I'm clapping, but everybody else is clapping, everybody else is celebrating, so I'm going to do the same, uh, and, and I remember uh, when my sister, years ago, probably six years ago now, my sister, uh, there was a vacancy in the county that she was living in, Hutchinson County. Uh, I'm from Borger, Texas, if you've ever heard of it. Uh, forget about it, because there's nothing special there other than my family. Uh, <laughs> here this morning, so I had to joke on them a little bit. But um, I remember there was a vacancy. There was a vacancy in the Justice of the Peace uh, seat. Uh, some of you are looking at me like, well, what is that? That's kind of how I was. I was like, I don't know what Justice of the Peace is. Um, and I remember her, uh, I was in that, I'm already living in Midland and we're on a FaceTime call and I remember uh, getting on a FaceTime and my sister's telling me, she's like, you know what? I have decided to run for the Justice of the Peace uh, here in Hutchinson County. And I could see the excitement on her face. I could see uh, the excitement on my parents' face uh, uh, for they are longtime uh, workers for the county. They, they, the whole town is about 15,000 people, so you know everybody. And, and you could just see the joy that was on them for this endeavor that she was about to go on of running for justice 
of the peace. And she tells me, brother, I'm running for the justice of the peace. And I kind of felt like what I just spoke about. I was like, I could see the excitement on them. And so that means I need to get excited for her. Like, awesome, sweet, let's do it, right? Uh, if we're going to run for justice of the peace, let's do it. If there's something to win, I want to win, right? Any winners out here? That's what I'm talking about. I tell my daughter all the time, it's not about winning. You know, it's about having fun. But you know what's fun? Winning. <laughs> winning is fun. And so I just knew if there was a race, there had to be someone who won. And so I'm just pumped for her. I'm pumped for my family. Uh, not much I could do in Midland, but I can root her on from over here. And, and for months, they worked tirelessly campaigning for my sister, putting up signs, hanging up signs, putting signs in yards, uh, talking to people at the store, at the grocery store, at Walmart, uh, just hours and hours of campaigning to, for this race for my sister to, to win the justice of the peace. And I remember a couple times I got to visit the town and, and I got to help campaign and go, go throw some signs down. And, and I was just on the boat. I'm ready to go. We're here to work. We're here to celebrate the, one day to celebrate the win. Uh, I don't know what justice of the peace is, but again, there, if there's something to be won, we're going to win. And, and so months go by of just tirelessly uh, campaigning for this office that she's running for. And, and then I remember they had this public forum where all the candidates were on the stage and, and uh, I, I decided to make the trip down because I wanted to support her. And I remember hearing every candidate speak and what they're going to move on and what kind of what uh, they, if they were to fill this vacancy, what their office would look like. And, and I remember after every candidate, uh, I, I'll be honest, I'm, let me lay this out there. I'm not a politics guy, all right? So if, if you're a politics person, I'm not the person to talk politics with. And so when they were talking up there, I'm like, okay, cool. Like, Woo, you know? And, but when my sister got up there, and, and I could tell she's nervous, bare-knuckling this thing, and she's like, I think she picked it up at one point, and, and I remember just, just the anxiousness on her, but after she finished, I remember being so proud, uh, and I have no idea probably what she said. I don't remember any of it, but guess what? We celebrated that she was up there confidently uh, speaking uh, against, I think it was men, because they had never, uh, I'll take that back. But anyway, we were celebrating, and I stood up, and I'm this proud brother in the back, like, woo, like going crazy celebrating for my sister. And, and then the night comes, election night comes. And we get into, we're in a restaurant at Bennigan's Inborger, uh, party, family, uh, friends were all there at this gathering party, just anxiously waiting for this moment to see if she's going to win. There was two other candidates, uh, two other well-known candidates, um, and uh, my sister had no experience in this seat, and so we were just going on hard work, uh, on prayers, on God's favor, uh, and, uh, and from my parents' knowledge of being with the county. And I remember, uh, you know, everybody's hanging out, eating food, and, and you could just feel the tension in the room that we're just waiting on that phone call. We're all watching my sister, waiting for her to pick up the phone. And in that moment, uh, you, before she picked up the phone, you could just see the joy in the room of all the family and friends in there. You could see the happiness. You could see that all the hard work had come down to this very moment. And then all of a sudden, my sister, she gets on the phone and all eyes shift to the middle of the room where my sister is. And, and she's on the phone and, and, and you can't tell. There's no emotion yet. And, and she hangs up the phone and there's a pause and you, you could hear a pin drop in the room. 
And she goes, I won. And the room goes crazy. Everybody's celebrating. And, and so we actually have Judge Rodriguez in the room right now. It's pretty cool. Uh, I love you, sister. And she just won her second term. I'm super proud of her. Uh, but I remember everybody in the room is clapping. I'm right there with everybody clapping. People are crying. It's exciting. And still to this point, I have no idea what a JP is. No clue. I just know, you know what I knew? We won. Yeah, we won, right? That's all I care about. We won. Still had no clue what a JP, forgive me, I was like a young 20-year-old that didn't, you know, didn't care. I was just, I was glad we won. So, man, after the hugs, the pictures, and everything, we get back to the house. I remember we're in my parents' house, and, and I, th- I believe it was just me, my mom, and my parents, and and, and I could just see the joy on my parents' face. I could see the joy in their heart, the, the excitement in my sister. And, and after we finally, all the emotions calmed down, I finally asked the question, man, I'm so proud of you, but what the heck is a JP? Like, what did you just win? What, what, what does this mean, right? I think sometimes this is the picture of the church. We come and we say it's Easter Sunday and everybody's excited. Everybody is celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. And we get excited. We lift our hands. We worship. We take pictures. You're going to go hang out with your families later. There's going to be joy all over the place. There's going to be happiness. There's going to be good food. All these good things. Yet so many times I think there's too many people in the church that don't understand the implications of the resurrection of Jesus. You come to church, you know to sing, you know to raise your hand, you know to sit down and listen to the preacher, and, and, and you, sell, you clap at the right time, you get excited about the right things. But at the end of the day, if we were to have a one-on-one conversation, it's like, well, what does that personally mean to you? This is alive today. Not many people could probably answer that question. This morning, I hope by the end of this, you will be able to answer the question. Because again, I think uh, as a pastor, too many times I'm looking at uh, the, the, the Christians uh, all over in churches, and I think too many times it's vacant. I don't necessarily mean the building, right? The building's not the church. We, uh, us making up the gathering uh, is the church, is what the Bible says. And so, of course, we know that all across Midland, all across the United States, and across the world, churches are filled more than ever. But that's not something to applaud. What we want to make sure that we applaud is that we understand that we know the implications of a risen Savior. That if a risen Savior is really and that God really rose him from the dead and that he really went to heaven and that he said, I will send my helper and he is going to make a home in you. If you're in this room, there's two kinds of people in this room. There's one kind of person who you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And then there's other people in here who have confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you would call yourself a Christian. And this morning, I want to focus our attention on the implications. If the Holy Spirit, if you are a Christian and you have the power of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit living in you, there's some implications to that. So number one, what's the first implication? Why do we celebrate Easter? Why do we get excited that he is risen, that we sing about, that he beat death? Because we believe that we have an eternal life coming. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. 
We believe that every person is born into the world with sin, right? Even my cute little, you know, three-year-old girl, four-year-old girl, that's bad, three-year-old, man, my wife is like, she's three, get it right. And my one-year-old, his name is Legend, my little one-year-old Legend, even as cute, they're born into this world with sin. And so something has to happen for them to have eternal life with Jesus forever, And it says, for the wages of sin is death. So if nothing happens, there's going to be death beyond death. And we can't, we don't want that. But there's good news, right? The gospel, which means good news, means, it says this, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've ever received a good gift, but that's a really good gift. Our church has been journeying through the book of Ephesians. Uh, We've made it through three and a half chapters, and and over and over for three and a half weeks, we talked about God's good gift towards us, that it has nothing to do with what we do, how we act, how we talk, what we wear, but it's all about God's good grace towards us that he gives us. And, and, And in this verse in Romans 6, it says that this is a gift from God. I don't know about you, but I get excited about gifts. Because you know what gifts are? You know what the price of a gift is? Come on, say it. It's free. Free 99. How many of you like free 99? Free 99. All my cheap people, amen? Free 99. If it can be given to me for free, I'll take it. I don't care if it's new, if it's old, if it's been worn. I'll, I'll take it. Why? Because it's free. And God is saying, hey, I have a free gift. Your eternal destination, you're on a path to a real hell. But the good news is that I have a free gift in my son, Jesus. That if you confess him as your Lord and Savior, you can spend forever and ever with him. So what is this? uh, How do we look at this, though? Not a lot of people like to talk about death. You know, if someone talks about death, we kind of look at them funny like, I don't really want to talk about death. I'm one of those people that it does, I I don't shy away from talking about death. Actually, I'll tell you, I want to die. I I know how I want to die. I mean, I don't know if God's going to make it this way, but I want to die in a way that like, I am like, oh my gosh, I'm about to die. (laughs) Yeah, that's crazy. I know some of you are like, what a freak. Like, what is wrong with you? Like, I want to know, like, oh, my God, like, this train is about to hit me. I'm, love you, God, here I come. Like, I don't want to go out sleeping. That, I think that's boring. Like, that's not, I want to wake up and experience it. I know that sounds, like, so dark. But I actually want to, that's how, and here, here's the thing. Here's what I'm trying to say, though. We have to talk about death. Because guess what? In this life, everyone has one thing coming for sure, and it's death. At one moment, everybody in this room will take their last breath. You will say your last words. And what you decide on this side of heaven depends on your eternity. And Jesus says, it is my free gift that I offer to you. And he he puts it on the table. He says, all you have to do is take it. And who does he offer that to? The spiritual? No. The perfect? No. The rich, the poor, the black, the white, the brown, he offers it to everyone. He says, here is my free gift to you because I want to spend eternity forever and ever in heaven. 
He offers it to broken people because we've already established that's the only kind of people there are. If you view yourself uh, higher than someone else, man, you're looking through the wrong lens because at the foot of the cross, we're all on level playing ground. We're all, if you're a liar, you're a liar. If you've lied before, you're a liar. If you've stolen, you're a thief. If you've cheated, you're a cheater. All those things, that's the sin, right? And God says, I can wipe away all of it. And I can redeem you, I can renew you, and I can give you a new life. You can be a whole different person. Too many times we look at church and Jesus and the Bible as this way of making our lives better. God doesn't want to make you a better version of you. He wants to make a new you. And, and, and a new you is better than a refurbished you. And all you have to do is accept that free gift this morning call on his name. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is king and savior, that you will be saved. That is good news this morning. That is one great, the greatest implication of us celebrating the risen savior is that we can spend eternity with Jesus forever where there'll be no tears, there'll be no pain, there'll be no hurt, there'll be no sickness this is good. Yeah, some of y'all freaked out. He's getting excited. That's something to get excited about this morning that we can spend our, our time, our forever in a place like that. Because as the video said, look around. It doesn't take long to know that we're living in a broken place, that we're living in a messed up world. And, and one day we're going to be taken from this place. And my prayer is that we would be in a place where Jesus reigns forever and ever. The second, I want to spend our majority of time uh, on this implication of a risen Savior and why we celebrate Jesus is alive. In in John chapter 10, verse 10, it says this. We're going to put it up on the screen. It says that the enemy uh, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan, Satan, that's his number one job for your life. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy your life. Dad, if he can do that to you, he'll get mom. Because if he can get both of you, he gets your kids, right? And it goes on and on and on. He wants to destroy your life. That's his only job. But again, the bad news always comes with good news. And it says, I came. This is Jesus speaking. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. I love uh, the, the, the verbiage that it uses uh, in this scripture, abundantly, not just so you can just have life, not just so that you can exist, not so that you can just have breath, not so that you can just wake up, go to work, come home, pay the bills, go to sleep, wake up, go to work, pay the bills, go to sleep. Not that kind of life, but that you could have life abundantly, full of joy, full of patience and kindness and goodness and love. That's the kind of life that if we put our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, the risen Savior, this is the kind of life we should be living. How silly would it be that after my sister won that seat that was once vacant, now that she won, it, it continues to act vacant. That, that, that wouldn't make any sense, right? There would probably actually be upset people that justice isn't being served in that seat. Man, sometimes I wonder if God is looking down and he's looking at his church and he's, why are they acting vacant? 
Why are they acting as if there's a vacancy in their heart? Because there's not. If, again, you are a believer, you, are, you shouldn't be acting vacant. Jesus didn't resurrect so that you could live a life of vacancy. He, he resurrected so that you could have a life and life abundantly. And that is, uh, that is so crucial because I think too many times, again, if you walk into a church, and you should, you're going to walk into a church where people are hurting, they're broken, they're, 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 there's depression, there's anxiety, there's fear, right? But here's the thing. God knows that, that you're like that, but he doesn't want to leave you like that. His love and power and the work that is happening inside of you should be changing that. You should be going to the foot of the cross, going to the foot of Jesus and saying, God, man, I'm tired. I'm tired. And he says, I'll give you rest. God, man, I'm just so depressed. God, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why I feel like this. In me, there's a life abundance full of joy. Just come to me. God, I'm just so anxious and I have anxiety and and, and it just cripples me. He says, cast all your cares and anxieties on me over and over. Why does he say, come to me? Let, Let me take care of it. Because he never runs out. Over and over we see stories in the parables that Jesus, when he fed the 5,000, he started with very little. And he didn't just make enough. He didn't just give the crowd enough. He gave them more and more and. There was leftovers because he wants us to know that we serve a God who is a God of abundance. So you want joy, not just for that moment to overcome whatever uh, situation you're in, and he can constantly give it to you over and over and over. Could you imagine waking up every day full of joy? Some of you are like, I have that partner and they're annoying, right? I'm that part. I wake up and I'm ready to go. Like life, I'm glad that I'm breathing. I didn't go out in my sleep, right? Like I got, I got life to live. And, and, and Jesus says, man, I, I have just an abundance of it that I can give to you. You, 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 need great, you messed up this week? You messed up this weekend? You, you said some things that you probably shouldn't have said? You, you didn't have self-control with your temper that you probably should have? Did you snap at a family member, at your spouse, at your children like you probably shouldn't have? He says, man, come to me. And, and we, there's self-control in that. You can't stop going to that bottle and, and you just bottle after bottle after bottle. You, you keep going to that addiction because that's what we do. We turn to the world. We turn to the things of the world. And we think that it's going to ultimately satisfy us. And over and over and over again, please hear me, whatever it is, whether it's your job, whether it's a bottle, whether it's an addiction, whether it's money, it will leave you empty every single time. You will never get enough. It will never be good enough. And Jesus is the only one who is good enough that will leave you satisfied, that you can lay your head down at night saying, I rest in him. Because on the cross, he said, it is finished. He accomplished all the work. All we have to do is put our faith, our hope, and our trust in him. But 
why, why, why is the church, why do we walk around as if there's a vacancy in our heart? And it's because what we believe right here, right? Our thoughts are very powerful. The way your brain, your mind works, it's a powerful thing that God gave you. So powerful that he talks about it in scripture. He says that every single thought you have, you need to take hold of it. And you, so you need to think about what you're thinking about because he knows what you think about will eventually land here. And what lands here is how you're going to live your life. That's why it's so important about what we believe. We believe starts right here in our mind. I want to read a verse. Before, it, it says this, Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. What does that mean? He's praying for you and I. So when God took Jesus up into heaven, Jesus isn't kicked back, chilling like, I hope they can figure it out. That's not the kind of Savior that we serve. Man, but he is interceding for you and I. So what does that mean? That means we have two, I almost did this, but that's four. We have two voices going on constantly. Do you understand that? Constantly going on. There's the the voice of Jesus interceding for you. And and, and that means what we believe, what he's praying for you and I, which is all grounded in Scripture. And then there's Satan, which his name literally means the accuser. So we have two voices going. We have the one who is praying for us and wants good, only good for us only good for us, and then we have the accuser who's constantly reminding of us of our failures, our shortcomings, and what we've done wrong in our life. So those two voices are constantly in your day bombarding you. And here's the thing, you're going to listen to one of them. And when you listen to one of them, you're going to believe one of them. And when you believe one of them, you're going to live out of that belief. So you're either going to uh, live out of the belief that, man, I am his child. I have been forgiven. I have a new life. I don't have to be bound by this addiction. I don't have to live with this anger. I don't have to live with this anxiety and fear. And you can live your life out of that, or you can live your life out of Satan, the accuser, and what he's telling you. Man, you're a screw-up. You keep screwing. Why do you even go ask for forgiveness? You're going to end up asking for forgiveness tomorrow. You think you can overcome this addiction? No way. This is going to be a part of your life forever, so just keep hiding it. Don't talk about it, and you can live your life out of that. And we have Christians, we have people who genuinely love God living out of this one way too many times because we buy into those thoughts. We don't take captive those thoughts that, like the scripture tells us. The other night, I, I uh, walk into Kenley's room. She's my eight-year-old, and she's crying. Usually, she's watching TV, and I'm having to tell her to go to sleep, and she's just crying. And, and I remember uh, walking in, because I, I was like, her light was on, and I opened her door. I was like, why is your light on? Why? And I see her crying. I was like, oh, okay. And so I go lay down on her bed, and I say, my love, why are you crying? And she just keeps crying, keeps crying. She's laying there, and she won't talk to me. And, and so I just patiently wait, let her cry. And, and my love, why are you crying? And she goes, nothing, nothing, right? She, she's already being a woman, right? 
don't ever say that again. <laughs> Duly noted. She says, nothing. Nothing, Dad. My love, nothing doesn't make you cry. What's wrong? Well, it's just easier because I always talk to Mom. I said, well, you know, you can talk to Dad, too. That's why Dad's here. What's wrong, my love? Cries, tears coming down her face. And she goes, I just started thinking that one day I'm not going to have you and, you and Mom. She's just crying. And immediately, man, the Holy Spirit just started reminding me and just reminding me what to tell my daughter. And I said, I said, okay. And I just began talking to her. I said, you know what, Ken? I said, you always have thoughts. And those thoughts aren't bad, but we need to think about what we're thinking about. And I began telling her this, this, this concept that Jesus is praying for us, that he wants us. The Bible says you should think of things that, are, that come from above. Think of these types of things. And, and that's how our thoughts should be, they, they should be filled with those kinds of things. Because we believe them and then we'll live them. I said, right now what you're doing is you, the enemy has, has given you a thought that mom and dad is going to die one day. I said, my love, and that's true, me and mom aren't going to be here one day. I said, but you don't need to think about that. You don't, need to, you don't need to lay here at night thinking about that because you know what it does? It messes up your heart, my love. And I was telling her, and I was just telling her how our thoughts end up here, and that's what had happened. She had, she had given into this fear that the enemy was putting into her, and it brought her to tears, and it was messing with her heart. And I said, so my love, you really have to think about good things. I said, you think about that mom and dad were out there yelling, looking like fools at your softball game. She actually has a teammate who had recently lost her father. I said, but you think about how you had both mom and dad. I said, do you think she would like to have her dad there? She said, yeah. I said, yeah. So instead of giving in to fear, why don't we think about thanking God, being full of gratitude. And you could tell the, her whole countenance just changed. Her whole demeanor just shifted. And it was this like sense of joy in her. And I said, how do you feel now when you start thinking? She goes, good. I said, yeah, because your thoughts are so powerful. And she was acting as if there was a vacancy in her heart. Because it, this is what vacancy does, though. Uh, every, everybody has heard the term, darkness is the absence of light, right? Everybody has heard that, that darkness is actually just the absence of light. Same thing in our heart. Hate, if you are in this room this morning and there's just hate in you, like you just look at people with a disdained uh, feeling, a disdained look, and you just look at people uh, with some sort of hate, whether it's based on uh, race, whether it's based on uh, how much money they have, whether it's based on the level of job or title that they have, but you just have this hate in your heart and you don't, like, you've lived your life this way, just hating people. It's really just the absence of joy. You need joy to, to, to fill that vacancy. And guess what? We serve a Savior who has an abundance of joy. How can you wake up every morning in a broken world where we lose people, people hurt us, they betray us, they talk bad about us, uh, that, that we experience lot, all the bad things? How can I have joy in the midst of that? 
because we serve a Savior who has a never-ending supply of that. If you're in here and your life feels chaotic or there's always just this uneasy feeling about you, it's the absence of peace. You need peace in your life. You need to be able to lay your head down at night knowing, man, God is in control. Oil field crashes, God is in control. Housing market crashes, God is in control. I get laid off from my job, God is in control. No matter what happens, right? That's the life of the Christian that no matter what happens around me, in here, I can have peace. I can have peace. I, I've been talking about this. Uh, our church has to be out of this building in a couple of months. And for a moment I freaked out, but I can lay my head down at night with peace. Why? Because I know I serve a God who's in control and he's going to put us in the perfect place. Peace. Are you quick to snap? You've been living your life when somebody, you, you're easily offended and you just want to snap back at them. It's the absence of patience, right? I, I, last night I had to, heck, I apologize to my wife. Man, this morning was crazy. I had to apologize to my wife this morning. We, we woke up, legend's not feeling good, wake up, the air conditioners aren't on in the back classrooms. I'm like, I'm just angered. Uh, all these things, and, and I'm just, I, I get quick to, I snap real quick. So it's just the absence of patience in my heart. I was doing it with legend last night, and I feel bad now that he woke up sick. He's crying and crying. I'm like, legend, dude, go to sleep. A lack of patience. There, there's just a it's the absence of it. Or you, maybe you're, a, a, you're just rude. Right? Any rude people in here? Don't raise your hand. If you're rude, man, that, that's not the life of a Christian. This absence of kindness, right? We need, how many of you agree, we could use more kind people in this world? We could use more kind people in this world. We could use more kind children in this world. Oh, but then, then, then you're soft and people are going to walk all over me. No. That's, that, that's, you're thinking that all wrong. Kindness, right? We don't repay evil for evil. Maybe you're hot-tempered in here and you just flare up at any moment, whatever it may be. You're just hot-tempered gentleness, meekness. There's an absence of it there. We should all be exemplifying all these things. So what, whatever sinful thing is in you, it's only a vacancy in your heart that God has a never-ending fountain of. You need joy, he's got it. You need peace, he's got it. You, you, you need patience, he's got it. Kindness, God's it. All you have to do is turn to him. Here's the thing, and Van, you can come up. I tell our church this every single week. We come to church to remember. We, that's why we come to church. We come to church to remember what Jesus did, right? I was telling our team this morning as we were circling praying, I, I was telling them, I, like, I'm trying to get myself excited for Easter and pumped up for Easter, but guess what? Man, real church, we talk about Jesus every Sunday. I preach Jesus resurrected every Sunday. I talk about this never-ending fountain of Jesus every Sunday. But sometimes we forget, right? We're forgetful people. We forget that he forgave us. We forget that just like the people we point fingers at that are messed up, we were once like them too. 
We, we, we forget when we look at the rude person, yeah, we've been rude too. We look at the alcoholic man, I could have ended up there too. We, we, we look at a, a, a marriage who might be on shaky ground. I remember, remember, we remember that because of God's goodness, I'm still here. Because of God's goodness, I still have joy. Because of God's goodness, I still have life. But we forget. We forget. We go on about our lives and we get stressed out by work. We get stressed out by extracurricular activities. We get stressed out about life in general. And we forget about this good grace in our life. I remember about a year and a half ago, and only several close people in my life really know this. So I'm going to try not to get emotional. There's a moment where, man, I, I, I've been a pastor in some capacity for over 10 years now, and, and so I've almost let it become my identity, like it's who I am. But man, how, do you, how many of you know what you do is not who you are? But I, I got wrapped up in it, and, and I was in this place where uh, they were going to train me, uh, fund everything to, to plant a church. And in the midst of it, the pandemic happened. And in the midst of it, my wife and I got really hurt. And, and I remember walking in and, and sliding a, a resignation letter across the desk. And I said, I'm done. I can't work for you. And I remember it still in the midst of the pandemic, I couldn't find a job. I mean, nobody hires a dude with a, a Bible degree in the oil field, right? And nobody's hiring in the midst of a pandemic. And, you know, slowly but surely, life began to come back into rotation as we know it. And my wife, she was at the time working at a school here in town, an elementary school. And every morning she was getting up. And every morning she was going to work. And every morning at home with my son. And if you're a man in this room, you probably could connect with me. Like, man, I'm not wired to sit here and do nothing. And I remember talking to people, trying to apply for job after job, and I couldn't could find a job. And finally, like, I, I saw a post, and I was, at the time, uh, I started making smoothies at this nutrition store. And I remember one time, me and my wife got in a fight, and, and, and I just told her, I've always said, I never understand people who could get to the point where they would take their own life. Because if you're around me, you know, man, there's a smile on my face. I'm excited about life. Like, I don't just say that. Like, that's really who I am. And for the first time in my life, I forgot. I forgot about why we celebrate a risen Savior. And in the midst of this fight, I remember looking at my wife. A gun lays under the bed of our bedroom, and I told her, for the first time in my life, I had that thought. Why? Because I forgot. I forgot that we serve a God who deeply loves us, who deeply cares about us. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, He sent His only Son to 
die on a cross for you and for me so that we could be forgiven and that we could have life and life abundantly. And in the midst, maybe a couple months after that, we began our journey planting real church. And I remember telling our leaders in a circle, like, man, I've had some thoughts that I never thought I would have. Man, and to this day, man, I thank God that I didn't do that. That I didn't give in to that accuser speaking to me. That you're not worthy. Look at you. You're just a man. Your wife is working and you're not. You're worthless. What are you doing? But I thank God that I didn't. really heavy for Easter morning. I was hesitant about sharing that. But here's why. He is that good. He is that good, church, that if you're struggling and you're in this room right now and you're full of hate, you're full of depression, you're full of anxiety, you're full of worry, you're full of sickness, man, we serve a God who, who is ready to say, child, come to me because I have nothing good for you and it's in my son Jesus just go to Jesus so this morning we stand we sing we worship we clap we get excited because no matter what's going on no matter circumstances no matter what adversity in life is happening we can always turn to Jesus I don't have to turn to a bottle I don't have to turn to my depression I don't have to turn to a gun I don't have to turn to work I don't have to turn to money because I know those things are going to run out, but one who will not is Jesus. And this morning, yeah, that is something to get excited about. And so as you stand to your feet this morning, here's what I want to proclaim to you this morning, that we serve a Savior who is alive. We serve a Savior who wants good for you. We serve a Savior who loves you. We serve a Savior that our worth is found in Him. Our worth isn't found in our bank account. Our worth isn't found in our job. Our worth isn't found even in our children. But our worth is found in Jesus, in Jesus alone. And that's why we can celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. We don't have to have a vacant church. We don't have to walk around if, as, if, as if there's a vacancy in our heart. But you can walk with a life of joy, of patience, of kindness, of gentleness, of meekness, of humility, of love, because that's what God wants his church to look like. That's why Jesus, on this side of heaven, he rose from the dead so that we could have life life abundantly. And so this morning we're going to pray. And we're going to sing. And we're going to celebrate. And we're actually going to take communion before we do that. So if you grab your communion cup, if you don't have one, raise your hand in the air and they'll come by real fast and they'll give you one. Does anybody need one back here? take communion because like I said we're forgetful and this helps us remember the Bible says for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed he took bread and when he go ahead and go to betrayed he took the bread verse 24 says this I bet the computer froze oh there it is in the same way also he took the cup 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In Isaiah chapter 56, the Bible says that his body was bruised, it was beaten, and he took uh, whips on his back. They pulled his hair out. They pulled his beard. Some, some scholars believe uh, that people said that he wasn't even recognizable as a person. That's how bad his body was beaten. And he did it for you and for me so that we could remember. So Father, this morning we thank you that uh, nobody took your life. You sacrificially laid it down to be beaten and bruised and beat up for us, for your children, so that sin could be defeated once and for all. So Father, this morning we remember, we remember, you can take your bread. The same way he also took the cup after supper saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I love that. I could talk about that every single week, the new covenant. Old Testament people, they, they could only receive God's goodness by what they did and what kind of sacrifices they brought, how good their sacrifice was. You and I, we don't have to do that anymore because the lamb, the perfect lamb, sinless lamb was slayed for you and I. And it was his blood that was shed. His blood, the Bible says, makes us white as snow. So that if you call yourself a believer, you are seen through the lens of Jesus every moment that you are breathing. What does that mean? You're seen as a perfect child. Can you, can, can you even think about that for a moment? A lot of times we know how messed up and screwed up we are, and God doesn't see us that way. He sees us that we are covered by the blood and that we are His good children. So Father, this morning we thank you for the blood. We thank you for the blood that was shed on the cross. We thank you for the blood that covers all sin. We thank you for the blood that forgives our sin, that washes our sin away. So much so, God, that you don't even remember it. So Father, I thank you this morning for your blood. In Jesus' name, amen.